I suppose my last couple of years of high school, I had got a little bit wild and I had this idea in my head that it was too conventional to go to university and you name it. So at the age of 17, I just basically sort of hopped on a plane to my mother's horror and moved to Italy and then lived in Italy for a couple of years and then France for some year and a half. That's Anne O'Day, co-founder and CEO of Silicon Republic, an award-winning online publication for science and technology news. The Silicon Republic team is also behind the annual event, Future Human. Formerly called InspireFest, this event brings together the best minds in Europe to celebrate those remarkable occasions where science, technology, and the arts collide. This year, they're focusing on the people and projects that are shaping the next phase of human existence. Anne joins me on this episode of Think Like a Founder from her home by the sea in Greystones, Ireland. We talk about her chronic shyness as a child, how the only way to do business is with integrity and social justice, and her love of bird watching. So, Anne, you grew up in a beautiful place in Ireland called Kerry, about four hours from Dublin. What did you want to be when you were a kid growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in Killarney Town, right in the middle of the town. And I was, I was desperately shy as a kid. So I suppose as a result of that, I ended up reading a lot. And my parents were voracious readers as well. So there were books all over the house. And I think from really early on, I kind of cottoned on that I wanted to write. That was the big thing. I found it so much easier to communicate through writing than in person, you know, when you're that shy. Um, and then I suppose I, I won a few sort of writing competitions when I was very, very young. And that kind of encouraged me. And really practically everything I've done since then has kind of communications at its core. I've been forced out into the open when I became CEO and everything. So in a way, I've improved a little bit on the communications front, but it's still a challenge for me. Like I'm still, even before I go on stage at our big event, I'm still desperately nervous in the morning and things like that. But I think that keeps you sharp. I think being nervous is good. You have, as many people know, listening, and if not, they'll find out right now, the best conference on the planet called InspireFest that you've done for the last few years, bringing around the most creative, innovative, beautiful, magnificent unusual people in the whole wide world. And yes, you get nervous before you get up, but that's because you care about the audience, which is a good thing. Exactly. Now you have a degree in literature, a master's in theater studies, and your background is in journalism, your love of writing, whether because you're really talented or shy, the combination of the two. Writing and communications have always been an element in your life, and you didn't go straight to college after high school. Best thing I ever did in a way, because I suppose my last couple of years of high school, I had got a little bit wild, and I had this idea in my head that it was too conventional to go to university and you name it. So at the age of 17, I just basically sort of hopped on a plane to my mother's horror and moved to Italy and then lived in Italy for a couple of years and then France for sort of a year and a half and then came back to college. I sort of grew up and decided, actually, do you know what? College would actually be quite nice. Maybe I will go to university after all. But it was brilliant because by the time I came back to university, I had kind of got a lot of that out of my system and I actually ended up really enjoying studying. Whereas I think if I'd gone there straight after high school, it would have been more about partying full stop. 
<laughs> I got a decent education by default. You were kind of a wild, wild in the best sense of the word. And you moved back from Paris and you fell madly in love with Dublin. And from there, you started Silicon Republic. And what prompted you to create your own company? After college, I went back to Paris for about another 10 years. And when I came back to Ireland, I just kicked off immediately really as a freelance journalist. And I ended up writing a lot about technology and science. And I suddenly kind of realized that actually that's where the future was. And that's where the really interesting stuff was happening, you know, as opposed to the kind of repetitive stuff of working in property or playing news. And then while I was working freelance in technology journalism, I'd have met my co-founder, Darren, and then we were doing some projects together, again, kind of freelance but then we decided, you know, most of our readers, we were writing for print and most of our readers in the newspapers, they were probably the only ones that were online. And then we went, hang on a sec, you know, these are the people we can reach online. So we were very early to the game because this is over 20 years ago. We would have been very early to the game, particularly in Ireland. So we launched this kind of technology newspaper, but it was online because at the time, really, nobody was, was doing that. My co-founder, Darren, and myself, I guess we'd both be a little bit kind of creative. He would have been more the business side of things. So probably everything I, I've learned in business, I learned from him in the early years. But now I'm every bit as good as him, he'd tell you. Your co-founder, Darren, is uh, extraordinary. And the partnership that you have and the respect that you have, it's been 20 years. The relationship between co-founders is key. And what do you think it's based on? to describe it. I would have never started a business on my own. I mean, even with my own limited knowledge back in those times, I think probably, and you'd probably agree, being an entrepreneur is probably one of the loneliest jobs in the world or being CEO if you're doing it all on your own. So I think from day one to have had somebody who was passionate, as passionate as I was about the project we were going to do was vital. Um, how does it work and why has it worked so long? We trust, I suppose we, from day one, we trusted each other 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think that trust grew out of the fact that I'd like to think we both have great integrity. We see only one way of doing business and that is kind of the right way. Like, I suppose we both have a sense of justice and a sense of social justice. So yes, we want to have a successful business. We want to do well, but always in parallel, we both would have had the idea of doing good also. You have similar values. I just don't think we'd still be working together if we didn't, you know, it's just too much friction if you're always fighting against a person because you, you don't believe they have the same purpose as you do. So that has been a huge success for us. We're very, very lucky, I think. In the end, in the end, in the middle, in the beginning, if you do have values that you can depend on, that means an awful lot even more than core competency or, you know, the ability to do things. So just from knowing the two of you, I know it reflects in your smiles, your eyes, and the effort um, that you put into your work. Integrity is a big key. Well, you okay, you've been running your company, as you've said, for 20 years. And there's lots of things about being a founder. I mean, the loneliness, having similar values with your co-founder. You learn a lot about yourself along the way. What are some of the things that you've learned? I'm never quite sure how to answer that. I suppose the thing that I learned and that I was really kind of grateful for was the fact that you can actually be successful while at the same time not walking on over everybody else. You know, and I would have seen in kind of my early days of working, I would have seen some really strange sort of CEOs and managing directors who would have almost sort of, you know, beat people into sort of following them. 
And one of the things I, I learned over the years is actually bringing people along with you is actually way more productive, way more effective. You actually end up with better business and better teams if you can mm -hmm. find that way to to kind of respect people and bring them along with you. You're not always going to agree with them. That you're going to have your moments with people you work with, but that's kind of, I'd like to think, a talent that I've developed over the years. I mean, I wouldn't say I was brilliant at it early on. I'd like to think that I've got a lot better at it as the years have, have gone on. Creating something from scratch that's just an idea. Scratch is an interesting word. I think founders are a little bit like artists that they can't help it. So you're creating something. It's like you have an itch that you can't scratch. And literally from scratch, whether you have people or not, you want to do that. Does that describe your feelings as well? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think one of the frustrations myself and Darren would have had very much in the early days is working on other people's products. You know, we'd have been kind of going, oh, hang on a second, it should be done this way or it should have been done that way. And instead of fighting against the system, it, I think entrepreneurs want to get out there and do it themselves because they want to do a better job than anything that's out there already. That's just my view. So I think that passion to make something better and add value to the world and add value to people's work lives and their business lives. I think in particular in publishing, that's a big kind of longing that you have. It's to, to create something that, that is sharing intelligence and sharing knowledge and actually making people better at what they do for that knowledge. And you, you'll see that, Mo, as well in the event as well as in the publication. In the event, it's very much about getting people to think about themselves slightly differently, to kind of to grow and learn and, and listen to really good examples and learn how to listen to people who are different than you always. As you know, kind of that difference and that inclusion is a, is a big thing for us. Uh, and, and I think it comes through very much in the event, which for the first five years was called Inspirefest, but we've now relaunched as Future Human. I love the name Future Human. And I was wondering actually, why you changed the name? Now, a couple of reasons. One of the challenges we were coming up against with the name Inspirefest is that it gave an impression, well, this is the feedback we were getting of it, something a little bit fluffier than it is. A lot of what we cover is quite profound and quite clever, and it's all around engineering and art and technology. And I think people were people who didn't know it were kind of assuming it was going to be sort of inspiration porn, you know, to use that expression. Did you just say inspiration porn? Yeah, do you know the expression, no? Oh my God, that's great. That's so fun. But the same premise though, I mean, your premise, which is what so uh, connected me personally, not just our businesses together, is the commitment, a place where no matter who you are, what you look like, how tall or short or whatever that your artistry or your technology innovation, whatever it is, there was a place for you to come and talk about that. We see the future of humanity being an inclusive one, but I suppose since we started out on this journey, so many people have gone into the kind of DNI area and the diversity and inclusion. And there's a little bit of a danger that it becomes a sort of a buzzword we never were going to call the event anything that said inclusion or diversity right out there. Last year, we had sign language interpreters and we ended up with sort of with 30 people from the deaf community who happen to be software developers, artists, engineers. They never go to big tech events because nobody thinks of having closed captioning or, you know, sign language interpreters. That's just a small example. But I mean, last year, we would have had 30% people of color, over 50% women speakers. So it, it's just to ensure that our audience is seeing themselves on stage. 
or, mm-hmm. or more to the point, seeing who they could be as well, mm-hmm. their younger members of the audience and seeing somebody that looks like them, you know, so you actually end up with a far more innovative thinking and a far more exciting event and not in any way patronizing, but just an event that makes you think differently. And I'm just not sure that many events do that. And, and that was always our aim with it in any case. If something is going to last, it has to be incremental and stick, not like broad brush uh, lip service. I mean, from the very beginning, your commitment, it started small every year. It has grown, which is just um, so beautiful. So hopefully that will spread. So thinking about uh, people out there that, which you do all the time because you're in contact with them. When you think about people who are experiencing or they might listen to yeah they have a scratch that they want to itch and they're they're scared or they don't know or they don't understand the loneliness or that feeling that they're supposed to do something even though they don't know what it is what recommendations do you have for them oh gosh I think it has to be scratched if it can at all you know I think if you if you really have that sense that you want to do something do try and do it I think learning is the biggest thing of all. So to listen to as many people as possible, but to stay true to yourself, don't let anybody advise you out of doing anything you want to do either. Um, You know, look at people you admire and read about them, listen to them. If they've done interviews, podcasts, whatever, you know, learn as much as you can from them. And then the other big piece of advice for me is find at least one other person who can share that dream with you, you know, and we kind of touched on that earlier. I think being an entrepreneur without that person who you totally trust is, is a very tough life. So that, that would be my advice. Like I know um, sole founders and I, you know, I worry for them. I, I, I think that's a very tough life. So yeah, find somebody to share your dream with you and your vision with you in life. That's interesting. You know, it became very trendy with some of the people that support founders, the venture folks, it became trendy over the last couple of years to tell people who had an idea to go find a founder. Now, I think a founder is a fact. CEO, CTO, all of that stuff is a position. But the founder, that's a fact. And can you go find a founder or do you um, develop an idea with somebody because it's something that brings you together? Yeah, I'm not sure I have, you know, all the wisdom on that. I'll be honest with you. It's not, not everyone is going to find a founder. And if I, if I really wanted to do something and I couldn't find that person, I would do it. But I think naturally when you're working in an area and if you get out there and you talk to the people in that area who are doing fascinating stuff, you're going to automatically gravitate towards people. Like I did gravitate towards other people in my life that I could have easily started a company with. So I, I don't think there's only one person out there for you. It's not like love, you know? <laughs> so scratch it and be open and connecting with people. So you do find uh, somebody to work with. Unless you're the kind of person who can't, who needs to be the number one and can't work with somebody else. And, and you know, I do know some of those people, the loneliness is the same, even if you do have a co-founder, some people, can't share the the connection or the fact that there's another person that has the same level above everybody, which is a fact of being a co-founder. It's, it's interesting. Work-life balance. I don't think there is balance between work and life. I think we have one life and then we have family and we have work and we have different things. 
you do do other things other than work. And when you're not working, what are some of the things that you enjoy doing that keeps your head clear and your heart happy? You and I Mo, would definitely be similar about that in that like, if, you know, if you're going to spend that much of your life working, you want your, your work to be part of your life. I mean, without question. When I'm not working, it's funny, it's changed a little bit during, you know, the whole COVID-19 pandemic and everything as well. I've added things, you know, now that I'm not spending time commuting. <laughs> but it would have always been like my, my mindfulness is around sort of nature and birds and wildlife even our own garden, you know, feeding all the birds and getting the most obscure birds to arrive in the garden and things like that. But in the meantime, I've also started growing my own food, Mo. You'd be so proud of me. <laughs> like what? Everything, like cauliflower, tomatoes, um, <laughs> rhubarb. Now, are you doing only vegetables or are, do you have chickens and things like that as well? We live in a small town, but it is a town outside Dublin, a, a town called Greystones. The garden is, is modest enough, so it's mainly vegetables at the moment. Although Darren is talking about keeping bees next year, so <laughs> I'll let you know how we get on. Yeah. But no, we need a bigger garden for the chickens and things, really. And the goats. That was Anne O'Day, co-founder and CEO of Silicon Republic, an award-winning online publication for science and technology news. They also run an annual event, Future Human, formerly called InspireFest. This year, their event is focusing on the people and projects that are shaping the next phase of human existence. For more information, see siliconrepublic.com. On this next episode of Think Like a Founder, I talked to Anika Khan, founder and CEO of Eporta. She talks about helping her dad with his small business as a kid, her love of problem solving, and how good design makes people happy, even if they don't know it. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barak.